Their job now is to sanctify the social order, to sanctify the world. That's where the power of the laity lies. You can know it all you want, but until you got to pick up that cross that you can't carry, and he picks it up for you and carries you and the cross, then you know. Our nation is too full of those that are crying down. Down with the churches, down with government. Can you build anything down? You cannot. And let's begin now to use the word up. Up from all of this filth, up from this violence, up from this indifference of courts. Up, up, up to God. Be courageous and keep the joy of loving. Welcome to another episode of Cajun Kingdom of Priests. This is Reed. This is Jude. And this is Father John Joseph. Right, you're smiling pretty big right now. I'm happy. Yeah, it's <laughs> good. Yeah. I think actually today uh, it's the third week of Advent is joy, right? The, the pink. Gaudete. Yeah. What? <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, Reed. <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> Gaudete is one of my favorite days of the year. Really? <gasps> yeah. What? The liturgical year. Crazy. Yeah. I'll tell you why. Because, you know, like this is a different kind of joy. Like Christmas, obvious. Christmas and Easter, are obviously, you know, awesome. But, you know, there's something about. Okay, let me let me give an example. Whenever you are like starving and you like smell gumbo mm. and you know you're about to eat it that's almost more joyful than actually sitting down and eating it mm, that's and that's true. what like gaudete is about it's like it's like it's that really excited joy where you know you're it's about to be like that third candle's lit you know you know it's yeah. lit oh <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Father. No, that's that's perfect. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, that's how you use it. (laughs) All right, I was just making sure. You never know sometimes. uh, uh, But anyway, (laughs) sometimes on Bench B, we're like, get this guy out of the fall. (laughs) About to embarrass everyone. (laughs) But, (laughs) but, um, you know, yeah. So, you know that we're right around the corner to that, that fourth Sunday of Advent. And Christmas is right around the corner. And it's like, I mean, can you imagine like your, your wife being nine months pregnant? That's what it, that's what it's like to me. You know, it's like, like, holy cow, this is about to happen. And there's no other time like this time. Yeah. You know, when I, when I look back and I think about like, for instance, like, you know, Abby and Emily, when they were like little kids and I mean, that was just so much fun. And, you know, when they were just like, you know, but the whole time you're thinking about like, man, I can't wait to see what happens when they grow up. And, but you never get that time back when they're just kids, you know? So there's something about like that, that waiting Mm -hmm. period. That's almost more joyful if you embrace it. Right. than than the actual attaining, you know? Yeah, Yeah. that is interesting. And that's, and that's such a great point because that, you know, it's so easy for people to get out of the present moment, especially during Advent, yeah. being kind of like a underdog of the seasons, you yeah. know, and like so many people aren't in the present moment during Advent yeah. and that point right there, like, yeah, this is really one of the most exciting times. It's like knowing that we are like, that the savior is coming. Like yeah. we are about to meet Jesus face to face. Yeah. And that's what we're, that's the attitude. That's the zeal that we have to like kind of come at this holiday season with. yeah yeah it's 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 like it's like when when you were a kid and you knew you were going to do something after school <laughs> yeah. and you got up that morning like let's go <laughs> yeah, yeah. let's go like it's i'm like going a- to school and i'm pumped about it <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. because i know after school you know yeah yeah That's, no it's so true yeah no advent cool. I, I i think advent is the most beautiful season this is the season that i like receive my vocation mm-hmm. so like it's just very special to me but it's one of the most beautiful seasons and it's just been blown to bits by our culture you know and uh, I remember I preached one time and I said, you know, the Grinch doesn't have to steal Christmas. The devil already stole Advent. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, it, but it's just true. It's like because we've lost this joy of waiting and anticipation, mm. we've lost the beauty of Advent. Okay, I'm going to tell you all one of the coolest things about Advent. I don't know if you all knew this. Do you all know about the O antiphons? You ever heard no, that no. before? Okay, maybe that'll be our theological word of the day. The <laughs> o antiphons. Yeah, the O antiphons. O antiphons. And we will soon get our theological word of the day. Fiddle there we go. Woo! <laughs> 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 
guessed correctly, it is Ode Antiphons. <laughs> Ode? O Antiphons, like Ode. the letter. It's like... Um, o Antiphon. Yeah. I want to say something about, like, uh, like you know, singing praise. Oh, you're, I mean, not wrong. Oh, no, that's your reaction every time. <laughs> 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 that's, it's not you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Almost there. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um, it's, it's. I guess it's the teacher in me that wants to affirm the good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, oh, oh, Antiphon. Uh, I'm gonna say it's our our response to um, uh, I don't our response to the coming of Christ. What? No. Uh, <laughs> Jeez. My heart skipped a beat there. My goodness. <laughs> that was intense. No, actually, I mean, it's not, again, that's not wrong either. So, so, okay. The O antiphons are in, in evening prayer. So for those of you who are listening, uh, there's what we call the divine office, which is for everyone, by the way, it's for lay people too. Uh, it's one of the biggest misconceptions priests and religious have to pray a certain amount of it but it's meant to be for everyone for the entire church um so it's called the liturgy of the hours and like father champon uh, like his example of it is like you know when you got that big turkey and you uh, you got the 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 with the cajun injector you yeah. know and he's like you got to inject that sucker at strategic points you know so that the whole thing doesn't so that this little pocket then just tastes like garlic, but that whole thing is imbued with garlic. And he said, that's how, what the liturgy of the hours is. We're injecting our day <laughs> with prayer. So like it, there's, it's imbued wow. with prayer. So that's, uh, that's the, the what Cajun a injector that's yeah, a, that's, analogy. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the liturgy of the hours is to imbue our day with prayer, kind of marinated in prayer. And, uh, for evening prayer, for the evening prayers that we pray, we always pray a canticle to Mary, which is the mag- or the canticle of Mary, which Mary sang the Magnificat. You know, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Well, before and after, we sandwich it with what's called antiphons, which is supposed to bring out some kind of significance or something powerful that you pray it before. So it's an antiphon sandwich. You know, antiphon, canticle, antiphon. Well, those antiphons starting December 17th uh, change and they they start the O antiphons. Mm. So December 17th, 18th, 19th, 20th, all the way to the 23rd all start with O. And they, the, the chant is like, oh, I don't know. Let's see. What's the first one? Oh, sapienza. So. Sapienza? Uh, yeah. Do you know what that means? <laughs> no, but I know plenty of people with that last name. Anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 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 We're talking <Yeah>. about you, <laughs> Sapienza. <laughs> so, so it actually means it means wisdom, and so for those for those I guess it's seven days for those seven days there we are giving a different title of Christ, but it gets more and more specific as the seven days go on. So the first one is O Wisdom, O Sapientia in Latin. Um, the second one is, uh, I can, okay, O Sapientia, O Adonai, which was the Hebrew word for Lord, O, Ra, uh, o Radix, Jesse, which means O Root of Jesse, which mm. the stump of Jesse, the shoot would sprout up. Jesse was David's father. And then O uh, Clavis David, the key of David. And then O um O Orians, O East, and then O Rex Gentium, O King of the Nations, and then finally O Emmanuel, which is where we get the song O Come O Come Emmanuel. If you notice gotcha. in O Come O Come Emmanuel, it goes through all these titles that I just mentioned. Yeah. Okay. Wow. So are you sufficiently confused or are you good? I'm <laughs> thoroughly impressed that all yeah. of that just happened. And it, and it just, it just, yeah, it just comes together. Just stuff that you've been doing since you were a kid as a Catholic. It's like, oh, yeah, that, okay. Oh. It all makes sense. <laughs> that was good, Reed. <laughs> so, so oh. wait, no, but it gets cooler. Now this is where it gets fancy. Okay. So each one of those actually is starts with a, a letter of course o sapiensia o adonai o 
uh, Roddick's essay. And if you go through the letters, it it begins to actually spell something. So it's it spells something backwards. So it's it's S A R C O R E. Okay. Well, if you flip that backwards, E R O C R A S, those letters, it means something in Latin. Arrow cross, which means, uh, okay, so, so well, let me, I'm going to build the suspense a little bit. So what the whole the whole idea is that the church is like longing for Christ, and that's why it's called oh oh antiphon, you know. So everyone is singing oh like please come Lord like come come O wisdom come O Lord come O O root of Jesse. And we're longing, we're getting closer and closer to him. So each title gets more and more defined, and mm. we start to see him more and more until we get, oh, Emmanuel, oh, God with us. Well, then on the 24th day, there's no O Antiphon, which is on the December 24th on Christmas Eve. So it's like silence. And then if you flip it backwards and you get arrow cross, you hear Christ's words back. And it literally means, I will be there tomorrow. Wow. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. I feel like I, I feel like I just got out of an escape room. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like what just happened? Oh dude. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. So that's you see just the like, She's like, I'm about to be there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm around the corner. I'm around the corner. So yeah. Wow. So that's the O antiphons. See, that's what I mean by like Advent being blown to bits. You know, because Jeez, that's beautiful. You can't hear that's... the O antiphons because you're listening to Jingle Bell Rock, right? <laughs> you know, and uh, you're a mean one, Mister Grinch. <laughs> Jingle Bell Rock, you know, it's pretty you're good. A mean one. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's that's awesome. That's like I said. I mean, we just hear about this stuff since we were kids, yeah. or just like go through it as you know, growing up and even as adults, and it's like such like solid reasoning behind all of it like it actually makes sense yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. And how, how much we out. dumb it down just yeah. for like a fest like christmas is i mean everybody yeah. loves christmas yeah but like how many people know what's going on yeah you know christ mass you know like father champagne always says don't take christ out of christmas but also don't take mass out of christmas because <laughs> <laughs> that's what it means yeah that was awesome, Father. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's yeah, one of my favorite too. parts about this season because it just gets you, gets you so pumped. It's like like what Father Champagne says is like, you know, it's like a plane taking off. It's like you got to like really – you're starting to really accelerate towards the end. And then you like to lift off, and that's the Oantiphons. It's like yeah. when we start to lift off. Very cool. About to get mystical. <laughs> yes. It's <laughs> getting mystical. You know, mystical up in here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, cool. Well, uh, change subjects a little bit. Reed's, Reed is successfully masking the fact that he is getting over a cold. But good job, man. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, dude. I can't say successfully at all, man. That's Everybody has pretty much caught on to it. It's like every time I get on the phone or the one day where I finally felt good enough to go back to, to work and school, it's like everybody was like, dang, do you sound horrible. Are you sure you're okay today? Yeah. It's like, man, I have done such a bad job of masking it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And he's, oh, he's, well, I'm he, trying. I'm basically crying right now. Yeah. Yeah. Just My spread, eyes are just spreading watery. Spreading the Rona. Yeah. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's too soon. <laughs> too, <laughs> too, soon. too soon. Everybody's anxious. <laughs> no. Everybody's heart just went through the roof. He's good. He's Yeah. Crying. I'm okay. I'm I'm nice and healthy. Yeah. And, uh, you know, back at, back at school, you know, massaging people, I'm almost done with it. Almost done with massage school. So I'll be able to go fully into the massage career. And wow. um, and now be able to mix in massage and personal training and uh, kind of learn new ways to heal people. Kind of, uh, you know, so many people have have uh, musculoskeletal injuries. You know, so many yeah. people have chronic pain in their back, their shoulders, their knees, feet, whatever that yeah. stops them from having an active lifestyle mm-hmm. and you know perhaps fulfilling their childlike role in the world their childlike you know the dancing and the the fun that we're supposed to have the joy that we're supposed to have mm-hmm. um and so yeah I've, I've been pretty passionate about getting done with with massage school and and yeah being able to heal people 
Yeah, yeah it it might might be the wrong time, but like, dude, I got this crick in my neck. <laughs> <laughs> like, Says everyone. Yeah. It's actually like a whole lesson in massage school where they're like, look, guys, you got to set boundaries with your friends and family. <laughs> when you go to family reunions, they're all going to be asking you to yeah. massage them. Your, your and that's uncle. when you pull out a massage gun. Yeah, and you, yeah. you put it on them, all right? You don't, don't waste your thumbs on these people. Yeah. <laughs> your Uncle Jerry's going to be laying on the kitchen table. Yeah, great, yeah. great. Yeah. I need you to stretch me. Reed, I don't know what's wrong in there. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, yeah, no, I mean, it's almost like being a priest to me. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, you know, the, the physical healing and the spiritual healing. Yeah. You know, the spiritual doctor. Um, and that's, I mean, you know, we can't forget that that's like a prominent part of Jesus's ministry, you know, right. was healing, mm-hmm. you know, that he came, he came to bind up and to, 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 to be that balm in Gilead to, to salve the wound of humanity. First and foremost, the wound of sin, but also it affected the body. You know yeah. I mean? Our bodies are broken because of it, but, right. but you know, it's, it's kind of interesting. So what this is a kind of a, and I think we, y'all may have talked about this a lot with Mario. I don't know what Dr. Mario Sacasa. Yeah. We didn't get to too much of healing. I remember we kind of like the conversation went on for a while and then towards the end, we kind of tried to throw some stuff in about healing, but yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, he so does a great didn't. job talking about it, but you know, you know, there's kind of like a tension, you know, within the church where you see where, well, basically here he, Jesus comes and heals so many wounds uh he was a paralytic and yet when he's on the cross everyone's saying physician heal yourself heal yourself and he doesn't uh and then of course we know that he rises from the dead uh but then he still has his wounds you know and that's been something that i've noticed a lot as a priest where there's a lot of people who are who talk about their wounds particularly like emotional or psychological even wounds and um and certainly sometimes God wishes to heal those things. Um, and sometimes he doesn't, Yeah, you know, and I think that that's, uh, uh, it, it's a source of, it's sort of a paradoxical thing. Yeah. Why? I think it's something that even Allison Howard talked about that, uh, we're not actually, we're not trying to get rid of the wounds you know, we're we're trying to learn how to live with the wounds and love well with our wounds still existing. Exactly. You know. Yeah, because you know that's the whole point of the resurrection to show that wounds actually are the very place where love pours out. The divine is revealed through wounds. Hmm. So it's 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 profound, and, and and it's kind of interesting that every time Jesus has a massive healing or a massive event we see his human weakness right before. So like if you look at the heal, the raising of Lazarus, he, he begins to break down and weeps. You know, it's just such a human experience. Um, uh, when, he, when he goes to heal the, the deaf man, he emits a groan, which is like a sign that he is entering into this, this man's deaf and muteness. You know, like, because what do deaf people do? They groan. They, you know, they make, hmm. they can't make articulate words. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus enters into that. Before he feeds people, it says that his stomach turned upside down. He had compassion on them, but the real Greek word is splakisnomai, which means like his spleen like flipped over. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Interesting. So it's just, uh, what what's so beautiful about that is the deeper you go into Christ's humanity, the more you encounter the power of his divinity. And the same is also true for us. And that's why he told St. Paul, my power is made perfect in weakness. Mm. I saw this. I saw this um, great. My my sister-in-law uh, shared this, this little visual of grief. Um, <clears throat> and it said what people think grief looks like. And it's three cups or three jars that have like a, a ball in them. Mm-hmm. And that ball is, is displaying the grief. And over the the three pictures it's the ball gets smaller and the jar stays the same size it says this is what people think like grief looks like or like being wounded looks like and it says here's how it actually looks and it's another three pictures and the jar like the grief stays the same size but the jar gets bigger around mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. you know like we grow around those things gotcha yeah it's it's like when jesus comes back with his wounds and you know his all the apostles are sitting there and, and, you know, I'm, I'm sure 
Jesus was, you know, saying like, here's what the world did to me. And yet I live. Yes. You know, and yet I live. And, And it's like this, 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 this isn't, this isn't just, this isn't just a sign of, you know, something that happened to me. This is a sign of victory that I overcame this, mm. you know, mm. and, and how beautiful that realization when that happens in our lives. And we realize people in my lives have hurt me. People in my life have hurt me or things have happened or things didn't go exactly the way that I wanted. Yet I live, yep. you know, mm. like this is, this is, this is my trophy, yeah. you know? Come yeah. On. It's uh, St. Therese really emphasizes the, like, in our weakness is where Jesus is able to come into our lives. Exactly. It's in our emptiness that we're able to get filled with God's love and mm-hmm. grace. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, 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 one of my favorite like little lines from St. Therese, she says, she says, if you can accept the cross of not liking everything about yourself, you can make room for the divine in you. Mm. Jeez. Isn't that powerful? It's like, I mean... It's just like, man, that's uh, all of us, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's real stuff. And, I, and, you know, I think this is such a – we're actually going to have uh, Chad Judice again on today's episode. Right. And, I mean, he's a great witness of that, you know, with his, his own son. I mean, I would, like I, I mentioned in the last – I mean, I was in his class with him praying for the healing of his son, mm. you know, and the, but what happened was a transformation of Coach Judice, you know. Mm, yeah. That was, that was what happened. And uh, his son obviously is probably doing a lot better than he would have without all the prayers, no doubt about it. Like, not that this, these prayers weren't effective, but they weren't. God didn't choose to spare Eli of spina bifida. Yeah. But he chose to. Uh, transform everyone in contact with him. Yeah, I mean, it's just such a powerful witness of that. Yeah, and uh, another thing that that Saint Therese really uh, inspired in me is is having this humble confidence in prayer to uh, like be confident in what you're saying. I, I think he ref- she refers to uh, the the I think it's like a Canaanite woman who you know mm-hmm. Jesus is like you know why would I feed the dog before the, (laughs) you know, and she's like, all I need is the crumbs. Like all I need is what falls off the table. Like that humble confidence, like, yeah, yeah, I get it. I'm not a part of the chosen people, but I know you're the Messiah and I need you to feed me Mm -hmm. and I need you to come. And having that humble confidence in prayer that like, you know, not being like hesitant to like ask God for something, but like, God, this is what I need. And, you know, he might choose to not fill that because it might not be as well. But ultimately, having completely abandoning ourselves also means completely relying on the fact that we can come to God with this honesty that I need you to do this for me. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's so powerful. And and I think that you know the the sort of preoccupation that people do have with wounds is is really is more crippling than anything. You know, because what I mean by that is like. Uh, I mean, we all got them, you know, we all got them, but, but, you know, and, and this is what, this is what, uh, I mean, what happened with St. Paul, he was like, okay, I was caught up to the third heaven, whatever that means must be nice. And then he was like, but then I was thrown down an angel of Satan came to, 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 to just beat me down and give me a thorn in my side. And he says, but I, three times I begged God, take this away from me. And instead he said, my grace is sufficient for you, mm. for my power is made perfect in weakness. Mm. And so that's what he says to us when we're like, okay, like I have this wound or I have this emotional wound. I have this problem that every time I see this person, I cry. Or I, every time I do this, I'm, I feel not confident or I get scared or I'm paranoid, whatever it might be. And God says, this is where my power is made perfect. Mm. You know? And so the preoccupation that we have with, with wounds is actually the bigger wound, <laughs> you know, that he's come to heal and say, like, look, look past that. Like you were saying, look into the wounds, but behold, I live. Mm-hmm. That's so powerful. Yeah. yeah. 
And it's just so cool. I mean, we have such a good God. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good God there. Puts up yeah. with us. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah, so quick plug for Chad Judis. He he yes. does so much for, I mean, he's really just trying to get so much information out there for, you know, he has his three books, um, you know, Waiting for Eli, or yeah, the first one's Waiting for Eli. The second one is uh, Eli's Reach, yeah. and then Growing with Eli is the last one, which is kind of more targeted towards like young parents and stuff like that. So that's really cool. And he also has a YouTube channel and a podcast called The Art of Suffering. And he, he does a lot of apologetics and stuff. So uh, really, he'd be a great person to consume some information from. Oh, yeah. And he gives fantastic talks. Yeah. Too, if, uh, oh, he does. And he's great on this podcast. Yeah. So enjoy. Yeah. Looking forward to hearing from Welcome back to another episode of Cajun Kingdom of Priests, and we are here with uh, Chad Judice once again. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So with the, the whole gang's here today. We've got usually, uh, you know, we got one of us missing, but today we got we got myself, we got Reed, we got Jude, and now we have. And then Chad Judice is back. Correct. Back, yes. Oh yeah. Seems. Definitely, I would say one of the favorite episodes from, you know, especially from all the young guys that I'm really close to, you know, so that was, that's been really cool. I was talking about it before and and it was just cool to get some guys that I haven't talked to in a while kind of reach out to me and be like, oh, dude, that was a great episode with Chad Judy. So I remember when he was my teacher. Yeah. So (laughs) (laughs) when you teach for 17 years, uh, you you get to impact a lot of lives. That's a a gift of teaching and I can't go anywhere in Lafayette, I don't think, Mm -hmm. at any time without seeing somebody I have taught. Well, uh, in the past, so, and you just, I mean, you never forget your teachers, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 you know, I'm sure teachers forget us, but, uh, (laughs) well, uh, that there are some, there are, there's some, but if you have a, like, okay, for you, I'm just going (laughs) to throw this in right now, you know, for you, um, your group specifically, and even the group I had at Catholic high, because it was the year Eli was born, you were in my class, mm-hmm. and uh, I never did forget any of you guys. Mm-hmm. I have a very embarrassing picture of you. Uh, in the, <laughs> really? in the, oh yes, in the uh, in the. <laughs> <You> need that. <laughs> I can get it for you. It's in the chapel at St. Thomas More, where a couple of guys came in and a couple of young ladies who I had taught from that group, and I made a request. Um, in fact, you and uh, Father Sal East Oof. are both in the picture, wow. so that's awesome. Yeah, um, let's get rid of that. Okay, sure. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll no, make okay. it the podcast cover. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you should. Oh, no, it's just like, can you figure out who this guy is? <laughs> um, and then, you know, at Catholic High, um, I've got some great shots of when I was there. And the two years I was there, honestly, uh, were two of the best years I ever had teaching because it was my mm-hmm. first opportunity to teach theology uh, formally to kids. And uh, mm-hmm. The two groups of kids I had there had as much impact on me as they uh, they claim I had on them. Well, that's that's, that's pretty awesome. That's awesome. So I'm pretty curious. I mean, I've always been you know pretty curious in your job, especially since the last time we talked, uh, being the director of catechetics and having that experience with you know kind of like teaching theology in high school and stuff. Um, how's the job going? How's uh, are there some uh, programs that you have out? Are you getting clarity on like what direction you want to bring things? Have you always had clarity? Uh, I think when I started, um, the first thing I did, I've consecrated my life to Christ through Mary, through uh, Louis de Montfort's 33-day consecration. My feast day is uh, the Assumption on August the 15th. The first thing I did when I got hired, I began uh, my job in July of 2018, and I was beginning my preparation again. So I consecrated the office to Jesus through Mary. Um, And I wanted to follow where the Holy Spirit had led me. And, of course, we had some tools that kind of helped us determine that. We had done a survey that showed us some of the needs in the diocese. And I'd spoken with Bishop Desitel and asked him, you know, what is your vision for catechesis? Because he is the primary catechist for the diocese. Mm -hmm. And uh, I felt two really big tugs on my heart that have kind of come to fruition. The first one is um, a need to give an adequate anthropology, uh, a lack of understanding of what it means to be human. So there's been a big push to... Uh, implement in a very direct way theology of the body, mm-hmm. uh, a gift for us, I believe, from uh, 
Pope St. John Paul II. Mm. And the second thing is to um, reach parents and make them realize the impact they have on their children mm. and their faith life, uh, specifically the retention rate of them remaining Catholic. So we've taken a whole look at the way we do catechesis in the parishes, and we're trying to restructure it where it's not something off to the side that appears to be what you might think is just a religious education class like you go to Catholic school for, but something that's central to the middle of the parish, parish life itself, and everything flows from catechesis through the parish, but specifically a focus on adult formation. And that's what we're moving toward. Mm -hmm. Big cool. picture. Yeah. Very cool. And speaking of like parents and, and you know, them kind of living out uh, their role in society being completely vital for their kids raising up and then raising their kids to, you know, this this constant chain event. How does the Holy Family, uh, is, how is the Holy Family just the perfect example of how we should be living out our priesthood uh, in our families and stuff? Well, I think about, you know, us participating as in the common priesthood of Jesus Christ, all of us in our baptism, uh, priest, prophet, and king, right? It's a big deal. Uh, mm -hmm. Teach, govern, sanctify. Yeah. So how is it that each one of us uh, plays a role? I mean, for me, as a domestic in the domestic church, I'm the high priest of my home. So I'll, uh, I have to fill out those three roles. I have to teach, I have to govern, and I have to sanctify. So how do I teach? I teach in my example, the way I live my life, the way I live out the faith by creating a Catholic culture in my own home. The rosary is a staple for us, always has been since uh, we found out about Eli. Um, also, the way that I handle different situations as a father and as a man uh, to govern, uh, I have to do it with the virtues of prudence and temperance, effectively. Uh, I have to be very um, quick to pray and discern and uh, not quick to react about <laughs> yeah. a lot of things. Mm. And then to sanctify... Um, I should be striving for holiness. Uh, I've been to a ton of men's conferences, and they always tell you, you need to be the high priest of the home, the leader of the domestic church, but they don't really give you a great blueprint for um, how to go about doing that if you haven't already acquired the tools to do that. And uh, my wife and I were talking yesterday, and she kind of planted in my, in my mind an idea for another book. I've always wanted to write again, but it won't be about Eli. It'll be about something about the faith. And um, she said, you should write that book because Father Joe Bro, who played a huge part of my life mm -hmm. at St. Thomas More when I ran Kairos, I believe gave men a formula for how to do that. It, you can acquire it through the Crescia movement, which continues in our diocese. Father Ted Broussard, who was a celebrant of my wedding, runs the Crescia movement at Prairie Roan. Um, I made my Crescia earlier this year um, after having run a modified version of that at St. Thomas More. It all came full circle for me, and uh, it just teaches you, it, I call it spiritual boot camp, but it teaches you about a life of sanctifying grace and why it's absolutely necessary to be able to do those three things effectively, to teach, to govern, and to sanctify as the high priest in your very domestic church is the husband of the home. When, and you had, uh, you, you've recently, well, first of all, I want to say, yeah, a little shout out to Father Joe Bro because uh, obviously you played a big role in, in my own formation. I always say, you know, I mean, Father Joe Bro was there at, at St. Thomas More hearing confessions, you know, several times during the week. And, I mean, I, I always attribute it to him that he saved my soul, you know. <laughs> I mean, in high school, you know, uh, uh, being having confession weekly there yes. is just, oh, so I mean, awesome. no, it was, it was, so, it was so pivotal. And then also I, I specifically remembered, too, when I was, I had just turned 13 and I was altar serving for Father Joe Bro. Oh. And so I went and I was, uh, I was like, I was like, Hey father, uh, it's my birthday today, you know? You know? And, and he's like, uh, he's like, Oh really? How old are you? I said, I said, I'm 13. He said, he said, I went to seminary when I was 13. I just remember my eyes got big, like what the, <laughs> and I was like, I'm not, I'm not going to even but you know talk about this anymore so i just went and went in the other direction but it impacted me i mean i never forgot that and obviously i ended up going to seminary so. and you go by father now as well yeah correct yeah so um father joe no father john joe <laughs> no i'm just kidding no father but, father joe is uh yeah. you know uh, in my in my my newest book um growing with eli our journey into light and life i dedicated the entire chapter to that process mm -hmm. um I loved running Kairos. Uh, in fact, whenever I was in the formation process, be able to facilitate it for St. Thomas More, I walked through Crescia with a man who had run the Crescia movement in prayer. Roman Father Joe had done that for a long time. Mm -hmm. And 
I wrote all the talks that I was going to be leading the kids through. And honestly, that's where the third book came from. But the biggest, the biggest impact um, for me was he taught me that what I do doesn't define who I am. And that's a very, very big misconception that a lot of people in the world have. People ask us who we are, and we immediately tell them our occupation. Yeah. Uh, and we forget that the things that we do doesn't define the people that we are. And that, you know, when we can't, we're made to receive love and give it away. Uh, we're made to see that we have value and worth. We're made to have an autonomy that separates us from everybody else. And we're made to belong. We're made, you know, in the image and likeness of God, we're a relational being. We're meant to be in communion with other people. And when we are not being loved, we don't have value. When we feel like we're on the outside or when we feel like we don't have something that identifies us as who we are, we, uh, we start to act out and project our, our actions on things that we think make us lovable, we think mm -hmm. make us have value, worth, and belonging, and autonomy. And oftentimes that becomes our sin, and we end up identifying ourselves by our sin. Yeah. And uh, we need to forget that and be reminded that when people ask us who we are, the answer is very simple. I'm a child of God, and because I can receive his love uh, freely and give it away, uh, I have been created for a purpose only I can fulfill. Um, I belong to God and God alone, and that is where my value and my worth comes from. Um, you know, that's that's who we are. And uh, my son uh, in the wheelchair mm. has taught me that in a very profound way. So it's like a correlation between what Father Joe revealed, and I get into a much more depth. But that's the big thing. You know, how do you how do you find what it is that uh, makes you forget who you are? We call it our root sin. He kind of brings in the whole Lion King thing where, yeah. you know, um, Mufasa uh tells uh, Simba not to go into the elephant graveyard and he goes in there anyway kind of like the the Lord told us not to you know Adam and Eve not to take from the tree and when they did they went in there and they, were, they forgot who they were Scar comes in kind of like the serpent comes into the desert and mm -hmm. leads him astray and then he's wandering around after that trying to figure out who he is and then finally uh, you know um, Rafiki Rafiki comes along yeah and he uh, Father Joe is Rafiki in my life I'm sure he's that for many people uh, who've known him mm -hmm. And he kind of bops him upside the head and helps him remember that the Father's image is within him. Mm -hmm. And he can be freed if he dumps his uh, stuff off at the confessional and then learn to live our life of, uh, of freedom and in life in Christ. Yeah. So. No, I, I, I mean, I know that that's, that was the, that's kind of the story of, you know, you, you talk about waiting for Eli and, and that, that journey, you know, which I had, was privileged to be a part of and uh, that, that you were you were waiting for something and it, it was in that waiting was a, a transformative experience mm -hmm. but then also the transformative experience of living and growing with him i i i know like i mean i particularly remember i mean i, I vividly remember when my two little sisters were born mm -hmm. uh, i was six and eight years old i remember weeping like saying thinking to myself like what is this like this little <laughs> life you know and it's just it's just phenomenal you know when you're you know and you realize there's not there's I, I intensely love this little thing yes and there's no reason why they haven't done anything there's no reason but then and then they do this fascinating thing that they grow up <laughs> and, yes. and they become their own little people yes and you know and like we were talking about you know and then you know jude abby's getting you know <laughs> married to him and uh, and and how that's just such a you, it changes your whole perspective you know you uh, growing with someone like that so i know you wrote that new book called growing with eli yes. can you tell us a little bit more about that experience of growing with him i can and really this is the uh it's just accumulation of you know the first two books I always tell people to me are eli's story uh i was just the narrator god is the uh actual author mm -hmm. i just relayed as a reporter what i experienced through it's that story through my eyes mm -hmm. growing with eli is my story mm. growing as a husband as a man as a father and as a teacher um and talking about not just the growth of my family, like, you know, we had another child. We have Ezra now. So we have Ephraim, my oldest, who's 16. We have um, Eli, who's 12. And uh, I have a little one who's seven. And I'll, as a father, just one thing I'll hit on right now, because it, my three sons represent for me encounters with three persons of the Blessed Trinity. Mm. You just mentioned um, how when you held your younger sibling, you had no reason to know why you loved them, but you just were holding them in a maze of their life. I remember when Ephraim was born, um, had an epiphany for the first time in my life. People had told me my whole life, God, the Father loves you. God, the Father loves you. God, the Father loves you. 
I didn't really understand what that meant. But when I held Ephraim in my arms for the first time mm-hmm. after becoming a first-time father, biological father, I never loved anybody or anything the way I loved him. And it finally dawned on me, oh, that's what people meant when they said, God the Father loves you. And I thought to myself, well, wow, if, if, God, if I love my son this unconditionally, how much more truth is that about the way God the Father loves me? I had an imperfect image of fatherhood. We all do because nobody's perfect, right? As a dad on earth, mm-hmm. at least I had a father figure in my life to help materialize that. And then when Eli came with you in the classroom, mm-hmm. uh, my faith became incarnate. Mm-hmm. I met the incarnate word. I met mm-hmm. the Logos. I met the mind of Christ, uh, the mind of God within his son. A uh, totally transformative experience for me as a man, a husband, and a father. Uh, mm-hmm. Took me out of myself mm-hmm. for the first time in my life. Uh, instead of looking inward, it taught me how to look outward. And then as I grew in my faith and began sharing the story and got left, left I taught you civics in American history. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you were one of my, my social studies students. Now I'm talking about some kids that I taught at Catholic High a few minutes ago. Those were theology students. So I was brought into a theology classroom. And I grew in my faith, um, got in, reconciled some things I needed to reconcile within my own life to be in full communion with the Catholic Church and allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life mm-hmm. uh, and brought about a third life. And that was Ezra. So mm-hmm. that's the third person of the, of the Trinity for me. So my whole journey to um, the faith and the depth that I've gone to it has been in my role as husband, father, and man. Mm-hmm. And that's, I wrote this book for people who are um, in that period of time between the time they finished school as a young man in, in college and maybe you're approaching marriage and um, they need to really examine what that's all about more than just the planning the wedding. Cause yeah. so you mean we don't you do wrote that this well. for Jude and Reed? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I honestly did. I told them on the way in here. That was my target audience with this book. No, that's awesome. I, I, I wanted to, you know, this was something that someone had brought up to me and just, and you, and you had kind of mentioned it in the last episode but uh you know a a spirituality of marriage a spirituality of engagement a spirituality of of you know uh, of encountering god in and through your you know your spousal relationship your paternal relationship yeah and 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 really that was the question that Mm -hmm. i wanted to um to ask you chad is you know I, i feel like i bring this up a lot to a lot of our guests but learning like learning first the sacramentality of like being single you know just like just like learning how to be single and be holy because that's like a super roadblock for a lot of guys but then going into a dating relationship and being engaged kind of like what are some what are some necessary steps to learn like not not just the like you're saying not just planning a wedding or not just um, not just learning like, oh, okay, like how are the finances going to work out or like, where are we going to live or, you know, anything, how soon do we want to have a child? You know, yes. I mean, all of those things are important, but, but kind of, it really, it was really hitting me in our, in our last episode, like how to learn how to love, what are the things we need to be thinking about and practicing and what are some practices that we should like do with, do with our, um, with our girlfriend or fiance, that's like, that's important to learning about like how to sacrifice and how to love in its purest form. So proud of you, Jude. Man, that's a good question. Uh, yeah, it is a very good <laughs> question. Uh, and I think it's, uh, it's really the theology of the family. Um, and as a single man, you know, I think it's uh, learning how to live chastity inside and outside of marriage. I think it starts first out there and then it comes into marriage with you, learning what that means, what that looks like. Um, Learning how to be um, a total gift of self. I think the biggest mistake I made going into my marriage was, you know, um, and I usually, I'm saying this as a pejorative, so please forgive me if I offend anyone. But, uh, you know, it's not a Hallmark movie, man. <laughs> I've watched so many of those with my wife. And, you know, things don't always work out the way they're supposed to work out. Uh, I, I know so Hollywood tells you, you know, and there's going to be challenges along the way. And uh, mm-hmm. you have to be ready to embrace those things and realize that uh, it's not a movie and that it's, it's work to be married, it's work to love, it's sacrifice, mm-hmm. um, it's the cross. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's your vocation. Um, you, you know, in Ephesians 5, our Lord, uh, through the St. Paul, right, the Holy Spirit through St. Paul says that uh, uh, husbands should uh, love their wives the way Christ loved the church. Women should submit to their, the authority of their husband in the home spiritually. 
and that those two become one, and that's a mystery, and it's a mystery that reflects uh, Christ's relationship with the church. So um, don't be afraid, man, to uh, allow your spouse to love Jesus more than they love you. Mm. Wow. In fact, you should aspire to want to marry somebody who wants to step out in front and say, I love you, but you need to understand that I will never love you the way I love Christ because we love him perfectly, and God gave us the perfect image of love on the cross, and through the Holy Eucharist, we can participate in his divine nature. And our love for neighbor should always flow from first our love for God. So if we have a complete, total, reciprocal love for God, sanctifying grace will pour through our life. And he'll take our imperfect love, which is human love, which is really good, the way you love your potential spouse, the way you'll love a child, the way maybe you love a, a brother who's a friend. And he'll, nature, grace will build on nature, and he will perfect your love. Um, I don't, you know, I, th I don't think a lot of people think about that before they go into marriage. If Christ is not at the center of your marriage, it's not going to work. In your fallen state, you're not made from monogamy. And in the sacrament, it's the husband and wife that are, are facilitating the sanctifying grace. So you, you both have to be in touch with Christ. And um, I think another thing, after 20 years of marriage, communication is really important, learning how to trust one another, and um, being willing to accept whatever God brings your way and know that uh, if God brings you to it, he'll pull you through it in your marriage. You Got to keep him first. Oh, that's such great advice. And I feel like I feel like we've we've grown so much just by just by doing a lot of the the things that are first first of all like the correct way in the, the Catholic Church, but but just things that are not understood well by by people socially, like like um, you know not tr like not living together before sure. you're married or not um, engaging in the marital act before yeah, you're married. Right, it's, yeah. and, it's, and it's these things that, it's like sacrifices that make things whole. It's like, it's like difficult for a reason. And you bond yes. over that, like that difficult, um, those difficult moments where, where the, cause the temptation comes and, and Absolutely. you know, it, it gets difficult and, or, or even just like financially, you want to just like, do things financially that's like you shouldn't like there's an there's an order to things and there's yes. an order for a reason yes because you're supposed to learn along the way yes well we're, and we're ordered right god designed us in a certain way and people look at the moral teachings of the church and they say oh i don't want to stand that you know y'all approved y'all outdated it doesn't it doesn't work and it's like well no actually um you're looking at it the wrong way you're seeing it as a restriction on your happiness but God has prescribed it in the natural law and handed that on the church and asked us to uphold it because it's a prescription for your fulfillment and your happiness. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we talked about me being a teacher earlier. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking when I was a little kid, I used this analogy when I was a Catholic high trying to get the kids to understand when I was teaching theology. You go to like a, a preschool, right, and you see these kids running around on a playground and they got this fence around them. And they are as free as can be. And they are having a great time because they're in an innocent state of life and they're having fun. And I looked at them and said, well, what's the fence for? And some people say, well, that's to trap them. I said, no, it actually sets them free because the minute they come to an age of reason, they start to see the outside world and they start to be curious about it. They're unaware of the danger of running outside of the fence where there might be a highway where a car is coming and they're not paying attention, right? And when the car hits them, it doesn't just impact the kid, it impacts all these other people. Well, that's a disordered orientation toward, uh, you know, the curiosity of what's out there. And it's, it's a disordered love of the unknown. And you go out there and you go, well, I can do it. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I want license to do what I want. Mm -hmm. And you run out there and then the sin is the car hitting you and it impacts you and everybody else. Whereas inside, if you stay within the boundary lines of the fence, God has set you free and you can live your life and live it to the full. So um, I think it's, we have to do a better job as Catholics um, of articulating the fact that, you know, you don't use a pencil to, um, fix the, the, uh, the, the dishwasher when you need a screwdriver because the pencil is designed for a certain purpose mm -hmm. and the screwdriver is designed for a certain purpose. Well, we in our humanity are designed for a certain purpose and it, we're made male and female. And women are uh, uh, infinitely superior to men at being women. <laughs> and men are infinitely superior to women at being men. And there needs to be a, a surrender on both ends of that to understand that those two things don't contradict, they complement. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I've definitely found that, um, you know, a lot of people, including myself at some points, see freedom as they get this false sense of freedom of being able to choose whatever they want whenever they want. And that's just not going to lead to true freedom. You know, I remember hearing an analogy that really set it in. And it's, a, uh, it's an alcoholic who's, who's struggling at home with his wife. And she's requesting that he stops drinking. He stops stopping at the bar. 
on his way home. And he sees it as, you know, he's being restricted of his freedom, so he's going to decide to go to the bar and drink anyway. But he's a slave to that thing. Yeah, You is. know, there, there's no freedom in that situation. No. And I think it's important for, for us to love well and for us to love our potential spouse as well yes. and, and grow in that. We, we need to have that true freedom of abandoning ourselves completely and breaking our heart open, mm-hmm. as we talked about with Alice and Benoit Howard, and letting God fill it. Absolutely. Uh, license is I, I do what I want. Freedom is the, uh, the right to choose and pursue the good. We need to make distinctions between those two things. Yeah, I remember uh, this was, you know, uh, we had talked about uh, one of the intro episodes that uh, about a man with ALS or Ligarius disease, but he had, um, Father Champagne's mother had the same, she had the same disease, died of the same disease, basically becoming a prisoner in her own body, and her husband, Father Champagne's father, obviously tended to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a similar thing to what, you you know, you have to do. Uh, with with Eli, and and uh, Father Champagne told his his dad. He said, "Dad, after his mom passed, he said, Dad, thank you so much for all you did for mom." And he said, "Oh, Mike, it was a, it was a joy. It was a joy. You know, that's freedom. Yes, it is. That's yeah. freedom. You know, uh, and, and you know, y- y- and it's and it's truly being a slave to those we love. Yes, you know, yes. that's the essence of freedom. Yes." And you really are an example of that, you know, uh, we Appreciate see that, that um, with Eli, and, and uh, he's bound you to him. You know? Yes, he has. Uh, there's no, uh, there, was, there was two me. You know, when I say there was, there was life before Eli, feels like another life. Mm-hmm. And then there was life after Eli. Um, and I'm, there's no going back. Well, <laughs> thank you so much for being here with us on the podcast and uh for your witness and we appreciate you so much uh and thanks for uh being a part of my life for sure ditto always a pleasure <laughs> god bless you guys thanks, same guys. to you yeah.